This is Tech Talk for Accountant Show, where we discuss the hottest topics, tools, apps, and trends in the accounting industry. This show is sponsored by Rush Tech Support, who is offering all listeners of the show a free IT audit so you can know whether or not your business is at risk of being hacked, having a data breach, or getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for non-compliance. You can schedule a free check at rushtech.online slash podcast. With us today is Karen Lake. Karen is a fully decorated, like the list of accolades that this woman has goes on and on and on and on. And usually I like to just highlight kind of the high level ones. And it was like, well, do we go with the highest level ones or do we go with the most recent ones? So Karen, what's your go-to on your endless list of accolades? Which ones are the two or three big ones? Well, during uh, COVID, I won the 2020 FICPA Experienced Women's to Watch Award. And I also chaired the Florida Tax Watch COVID-19 Committee Task Force, and we put together a report that was sent to the governor, the legislature, and the Florida Department of Revenue. So those are the two most recent ones that I have that deserve kind of a like, hey, this is what's going on in my life right now, shout out. (laughs) Very cool. Those those accolades, it doesn't necessarily define us, but it at least gives people a little heads up. Like we like to point at the accounting today, top 100 value added resellers. And it's just like, you know, what it means. I mean, we were on the list and, you know, thumbs up or like clutch top B2B, what have you. But at the end of the day, it's really about serving others and doing a good job at what you do. So Karen, one of your big passions and a lot of the areas where you focused for long, over a decade in the state and local tax mitigation strategies. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love if you could kind of dig into kind of, we'll start at a high level of what that is and then get a little more granular and strategies that others can use. Some of the things that we're seeing right now, because I agree with you 100%, it's not so much the accolades, but it's the value that you bring to the table. And that's why people reach out to you because they know you can help them and provide value content, which you do on a reoccurring basis. And I think that, you know, I just want to mention that you do have a lot of valuable content out there that you've worked hard to put together for the accounting community. And as a member of that community, I appreciate that you're doing that. One of the things that I've been focused on during this COVID-19 pandemic is the thing that's catching companies by surprise. Over the past few months, companies have really started looking at the tax, state tax income pass of having, you know, the work remotely workforce or the working from home because people are spread across several states where the companies previously didn't have any business operations and what's catching companies buy supplies is that having an employee in a state creates physical presence and nexus for income tax, sales tax, a whole litany of state taxes that they just didn't realize that they would have a tax implication to when they told someone like, yeah, 
You want to lurk at your parents' house during the pandemic? Sounds great. Go to North Carolina, work out of their house. That sounds wonderful. And when companies were telling that to their employees, they just didn't realize that there might be some kind of tax implication from that kind of thing. So we've been bringing that to their attention. And also, you know, companies are looking at this from a long-term perspective. Hey, this remote workforce is working out for us. People are just as effective as at home as they were in the office, maybe even more so because they're not stopping by to chat to each other in their offices. So they're looking at shifting their operating models and looking at employees Part of it is beneficial because they're looking at employees that maybe in the past they wouldn't have made an offer to because that person wasn't going to want to move to be next to their corporate office somewhere. So they've expanded the bandwidth of employees that they can bring into the company and the talent that's out there because now they're really looking hard at that virtual workforce. So it's great because You've got all these new employees and opportunities for the companies to look at. We just want to kind of bring to your attention so that you're aware of, unless the state has enacted special legislation for an emergency during the time of the pandemic, where they're like California, where they've actually said, hey, you can have somebody working in our state. It's not going to impact your, the company. That will That employee actually working in the states, boots on the ground, could have some significant tax implications that you need to consider. And this was actually something that we dealt with at Rush. And I wish this interview happened in like March. You would have <laughs> actually not not so much me, but Candace who handles HR. We, we had hired someone uh, that lived out in the Midwest, definitely not in Florida. And it was just like, okay, you know, this person, they can be working from home. They can be bringing so much value to the table. Like you said, we didn't have to pay for them to relocate. So it was, we were hiring specifically directly on accolades. And I love that you touched on also the piece that people aren't just chit-chatting and wasting a lot of time. And so there's a lot less, in my opinion, politics when it comes to a virtual workforce, because really all we can judge somebody on is their performance and when you attach metrics and KPIs to specific outcomes that you're looking for in a business and not just, well, he shows up and does his darndest, but did this person achieve this goal that we were trying to achieve and what numbers can we attach to this? And while numbers aren't going to tell the entire story, it does cut through a lot of the, well... You know, Kyle's such a great guy. We he brings love his Kyle. dog on Wednesdays, <laughs> and she's the best. So. I love her homemade banana bread. <laughs> yeah, but they don't can't do the job. <laughs> I love that banana bread, and there there have probably been people historically in the company that got by on a lot of this banana bread that probably. I mean, I just what bring that up because it's a real life memory that I have when we sat down and did an evaluation for somebody. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, we'll buy banana bread. <laughs> because I'm not dealing with this person. I can't do the job. They're nice. They're great. Yeah. But they're just, yeah, they don't have the skill set, you know, real life skill set to get the job done that we need. So, I mean, those are real conversations. And as you said, you know, virtual from home, the metrics are there. 
you can see what they're really doing. So, you know, having these examples, and companies are also looking as they're shifting their whole operations around. It's not just employees they're looking at. You know, some of the hard thing is they're negotiating with their landlords uh, for the real estate they have downtown. Do you really need, you know, three floors in one city of a big office building and two floors in another? Do you really need to be paying for, even right now, do you really need to be paying for that rental on your printers and your Mac Daddy copiers if there's no one in the office? I mean, when's the term on that lease up? Those kind of things that they're looking at hard to renegotiate and maybe downsize because if they are going to take a hard look at this, you know, remote workforce going forward, those are some things that they can save, companies can save money on. They're also looking at supply changes and any one of those aspects, you move your office from New York City to Florida. That's a huge tax benefit if you look at it. You're not paying New York City tax for the company. You're not paying New York State tax. You know, if you set up the organization as anything other than a C-Corp in Florida, you're not paying tax on the company's operations. I mean, there's just huge opportunities that companies, you know, really taking a hard look at, especially because we have that corridor between New York and Florida where people are down here. We're like the sixth borough anyway. They're here anyway, most of the year if they move the company. So they're not working for a company that's New York, but they're now a Florida-based company. You know, it just eliminates a lot of tax. So I've just talked to a lot of companies realizing that recently that they could take advantage of those, you know, restructuring opportunities for the company. Florida has all kinds of incentives for companies that are moving their corporate headquarters here, that are moving jobs here, that are training people here, that are something that you want to consider as part of this, you know, COVID-19 restructuring for companies that is actually, you know, taking place as we're talking today. And I think if we were having the same discussion a year ago, it would just be like a, ah, well, you know, this whole work from home thing, it's kind of a pipe dream, but really the physical, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And then it just pretty much got mandated. And it was like, it doesn't matter whether or not you feel comfortable doing teleconferencing and all these things. Like, this is the new norm. We're not going to have a back to normal. This is the rumblings of a complete change in everything. And maybe there will be a slight movement back to the physical, regular, old-fashioned way. But I just don't think that it's going to all of a sudden look like it did January 1st, 2020. And I knew this year was going to be an awkward one because literally the first thing that happened to me 2020, like I woke up, I got my son and he threw up all over me. Like that was the first thing that happened to me January 1, 2020. And so I was kind of thinking subconsciously, I was like, this is going to be a really interesting (laughs) year. And it did not fail. (laughs) It did not fail. Like just projectile all over me. (laughs) No. Yeah, I I had no idea there was a pandemic coming. None. I guess, you know, other people knew that it was out there in the universe, but I had no idea. So this caught me off guard. Now, it was really easy for me to make the change. I met with a client in West Palm, picked up my computer, came home. You know, I bought the monitors and the docking station and I'm good to go. 
other accounting firms that I talked with that are part of an affiliate group that they had much more challenging to move from the work from home because they just weren't set up technologically yet. Like they weren't on Zoom, they didn't have Teams, they didn't, they weren't using the the headsets that we already had and were comfortable with. So they had much more of a struggle than we did. But it, I mean, it does has impacted everybody. They are looking at it really hard to see going forward. And there are some companies that they've been going into the office every day anyway. It doesn't, you know, they don't have work from home. But for us, I mean, it's just a benefit. I mean, in addition, I mean, these are things that companies need to look at. There's also elements that if you as an individual have decided to, you're going to go to Colorado and start working out of your vacation home and enroll your kids in school so they can go to school in person and have that option because I've talked to a couple of people that have done that. You really need to think about the tax implications to you as an individual as well. And if, if people are just looking to hire just straight on talent and we are going with a remote workforce, would you say that it should be a big part of the decision-making process as to where they are hired and where they're located? I know just for us, looking back hindsight, it was like we had to add so much paperwork for just one employee and it ended up being for other states as well. And it was just like, we're doing all this extra work. And I, you know, my, my HR person, Candace, like she's, she's got a job for life because I know how much work and headache goes into that. But would you say that that's something that it should be a big piece of the decision-making process or kind of an afterthought nice to have? I think it should be, you know, you could, you know, tax can't wag the detail on the decision-making dog, as they say. It's part of the decision-making process. I don't know if it's a big part of it because as you're saying, I mean, there are additional compliance concerns that the company really needs to think of. Each state has their own laws as it applies to uh, employee state income tax withholding. So, I mean, Florida, we don't have an income tax and there's five other states that don't as well. But if you're hired somebody in Illinois or, you know, Colorado, or you're going to have to register with the state to take their state income tax withholding out of their check. You're going to have to register with the state to file unemployment tax returns. And every state's laws are a little different. So there's some complexity there that your HR partner has to get their hands around if they're just used to having Florida employees where they file, you know, the the federal 941 and the Florida reemployment tax return every year. Now, if they're starting, you're branching out to capture that talent market that's out there, they really have to look at what are these other states going to require us to do now that we've hired, you know, Billy Bob in Washington State. And (laughs) and Billy Bob in Washington State, say Billy Bob's the only person that has been hired in the organization in Washington State, gets let go through no fault of their own, and then they collect unemployment. So if you have one W-2 employee who then is let go and then collects unemployment or reemployment, does that does that have a big impact overall? Or is it now that you don't have employees there, it's done with? 
So that's a great question because some states like Washington have a trailing nexus law that has that nexus is there for five years after that person is no longer working for the company. So some states have a law like that where, okay, for whatever reason, this individual didn't work out, you didn't fit the culture of the firm or didn't have the skill set or you decided you didn't really need him. Then he does have, in some states, there is a lingering nexus trail where you still have to file for a a period of time after he's gone. It's not like his last day is October 31st and we're we're out. You You have to tell the state that you're no longer have an employee there. And usually it only takes one person and a wage of $1,500 to have to register to the in a state for unemployment. Now, of course, with everything else with state tax, the law itself varies by state, but that's just a general guideline. One employee, and you know, if they make $1,500 in a quarter, which hopefully everybody does, then you have a filing requirement as a general guideline across the board. So are we seeing kind of a shift of people getting like a technically this person is a 1099 to try to avoid this? I mean, still, you know, within the bounds of the law, but is is there more of a push for if this is kind of on the border and we could say that this person maybe is a 1099 to just avoid the headaches and just call it a 1099 and just you know, okay, here, you have to use your own things. We're not going to tell you when to show up Mm -hmm. because it's a very different environment without the, you came to work and said, this is your job, W-2. And I'm far from an expert in this, but is is that something that big picture people are moving towards? Because I know for us, it it has come into my consciousness because of so much headache that went Mm -hmm. into just this one hire and all these extra things. And are we going to set up hiring more people from here because it eliminates paperwork or because we could have probably played it as a 1099 and avoided all this. Is that something that is part of the conversation or just something popped in? There is definitely some of that is part of the conversation. Is this person really a consultant? You know, has he got his own uh, single member LLC that he set up and we're going to hire that company and that's going to be a 10990 and they're just going to provide consulting services and he can provide consulting services to us or anybody else that he wants to. We have no control of him. That is part of the discussion that have seen some pushback. And this is primarily because we're in a pandemic right now. Because last year, I didn't see as much pushback from potential employees is they want the health insurance. So they're not as willing to be a 1099 in November 2020 as they were in November 2019. So reoccurring theme that is coming up when we say, hey, you may want to consider having this person be a contractor and be 1099, a reoccurring thing is we're getting pushback from that potential consultant or employee who's saying, "Mm, I really want the benefits. I really want the health insurance. Of course, an individual by individual decision. And I would approach it first with like, have that discussion, see if they're willing to be a 1099 and, you know, look at the state rules in detail to see if they consider 1099s any kind of impact to the company from a tax perspective in the specific state that you're talking about. 
and then see if they give some pushback because they really, really want the health insurance or the 401k or whatever it is that they're, you know, they're after at that stage in their life. And that that is definitely a line in the sand I've seen between last year and this year. Mm. And are some employers just kind of putting the, okay, you would have been, say your insurance would have been $450 a month and then subtracting tax and everything, we'll just pay you an additional $550 and you can handle it on your own. Is that something that people are considering or is it still more of like, I want to be W-2, I want to be part of this and not try to make this work so that you can avoid these uh, pieces of tax? So I think that that's, you know, like everything else in life, you kind of get what you negotiate for, right? So if (laughs) we've done a great job negotiating because here we are, but the individual has to look at that offer. And we do present that to companies as like different ways to consider workarounds that they might be interested. Maybe they can get insurance off the exchange to cover their needs for their family. I mean, there's lots of different ways to work at it and negotiate it if you're going to hire someone, but you don't really want them to be an employee because you're aware that it'll create a nexus or a tax implications to the company. I mean, it's not just income franchise. It's it's the payroll tax that we talked about. If you're selling something that's, you know, subject to sales tax in the state, I mean, you've got you know, software or service or something is being taxed in more and more states. It's, you know, it's going to have sales tax implications, income tax implications, payroll tax implications. There's just on a, you know, unclaimed property tax implications. There's just a whole litany of taxes that step up to the plate once you actually have a physical presence in the state, unless there is some kind of emergency guidance that the state has issued. Several states have issued emergency guidance. The one thing that we're seeing is they're very detailed. They'll say uh, nexus is not created. If you have an employee working in the state during this pandemic, if you prove that they had COVID, one state has that, or we have this guidance, nothing, you know, their nexus doesn't create as long as they're out of the state by September 30th was a state, or there's a few states that have December 31st as their guidelines. Like if they're in the state and they're just here for, you know, a certain period of time, fine. We're not going to say you have nexus, but the majority of states have not issued that emergency guidance. And when you call and talk to them, they're like, hmm. We're going to look at it case by case or our standard rules apply. If you have an employee here and you're registered, you register for payroll taxes, you're done. So I just think the big thing that companies I've talked to this just had literally no idea that having someone working in another state would have any kind of tax implication. They just hadn't thought about it from that perspective. You know, a lot of them are like, it's an unusual time, work wherever you want you know, work internationally. We don't care. <laughs> but it would it would make sense on, you know, if, if that's not your first and foremost thought as a business owner, when it comes to things like that in the past, it was, well, we want them in this location because this is where we are all physically located. And that was the obstacle that I think most business owners, myself mm-hmm. included, were thinking with the work from home and whether or not you're in Boynton Beach or you're in, you know, Minnesota as a business and the structure, you know, if you're answering the phone, I don't care where you're answering the phone at. If you're getting sales, I don't care where you're getting sales at. However, 
most of us hadn't considered what these implications would be. And, you know, the, the hiring someone in a different state before it was just, it was almost like a novelty. It was, yeah, we found this great fit and guess what? Not located in Florida and it doesn't matter because of work from home. And then, you know, the trailing end of it comes back with, well, now we've got to deal with this. Now we got to deal with this. And then they're sending letters to our office and nobody's in the office because Uh everyone's working from home. So then we're behind on payments for things that we weren't even aware existed because we've been focused in Florida. So there's a whole lot of complications that can come from it. And I think one of the biggest takeaways is you shouldn't just do it just because only because there's a whole lot of extra tax implications that come with it, especially if you're an organization that's in Florida and you know we just haven't dealt with things like state taxes because we don't have it. So it's just a different thing than, than what we had been used to. And so going through that process and the HR piece of it and then the tax implications of it. So there's there are some extra roadblocks that I don't think we had really considered when doing it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Would I do it again? Probably. But it was a little extra complication that we hadn't considered minus the, well, he's not physically here. So, you know, but we're all working from home and one person's message on Slack, wherever it comes from, I don't care as long as you're getting the job done. Right. But these are <laughs> different you know, you you learn as you go, right? In that kind of life. Right. And I mean, even there are some protections out there if it's a company that's not like yours where you're um, very virtual, but actually if it's a company that's kind of more old school where they're selling tangible personal property to a state, there are specific laws that would protect them if, you know, if the person in the state is only soliciting sales and the order goes to the company headquarters in another state and then the merchandise is sent to the customer through common carrier, there's something called Public Law 86272 that would protect the company's activities from tax. But then, you know, the more you get into state tax, the more granular you get into, there's all kinds of things that you could bump your head in. If the company, the employee is in the state and he's providing a service, maybe he's supporting software as a service or he's helping a company implement software as a service, then the fact that he's in a new state is going to source the revenue quite possibly if it's a cost of performance state where states have different methodologies, how they source income. And one is where the customer is located and one is where cost of performance where the person is providing the service. He could be, you know, dragging state revenue into that state that you weren't expecting to have to pay tax in that state. So there's a lot of different granularly pieces that, you know, move together depending on what the employee's job description is in the state, you know, if he's actually providing a service in the state that's not protected under public law 82672, you know, that might be more income than you than you looked at because states apportion income during various methods. 
The old formula, which a few states still use, but they've weighted it differently, is they look at how much payroll you have in the state. So if you have one person's salary in a state of 50000 and you know everybody else's salary is in is outside of the state, then then you take that fifty thousand over you know half a million salary. It's a small factor, and then they look at how much property you have in the state versus how much property you have everywhere, your sales in the state, various sales everywhere, and they may double or triple weight the sales factor, and they use all of those factors to come together to come up with a ratio of how much income from the company they're going to pull into the state. So the actual physical presence and the person's payroll creates nexus, but then you have to look at all these other factors to see how much of your income is going to actually get pulled into that state and taxed for the, you know, the company's operations. And that's something that I think, you know, business owners really do need to take into consideration. And I want to be conscious of your time, Karen. Where can people learn more about you and your organization? Um, you can email me at klake at bpbcpa.com or call me directly at 305-960-1202. I am working from home and I'm here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the double-edged sword. I can work all the time. And, and then the universe says, challenge accepted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Karen, thank you so much for being on the show. And to all the listeners, if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe and help support the channel. And as always with Rush Tech Support, we give complimentary IT audits to small business owners. See if you are compliant and make sure that your customer's data is protected. And Karen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountants show. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show. And remember, if you would like a complimentary IT audit of your business, go to rushtech.online slash podcast to schedule a time with a certified technician who can look over your current IT systems and make recommendations on how to make sure you and your clients are safe.